1: Welcome to The Magnetic Voice, here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel, a show where speakers and singers learn how to be more magnetic and align their voices to the divine within. Today, episode 24, A Soulful Performer, with special guest Stephen Houck. And now your host, Monique McDonald.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Magnetic Voice podcast. My name is Monique McDonald, and I am so excited to be here with Stephen Hauck. Hi, Steve. How you doing? Uh,
3: Monique, I'm excited, too, and I'm excited that you pronounce my name correctly. So many people don't. They say Hawk, but of course you know who. We've known each other for so long, and you say uh- Hauck beautifully. Thank you.
2: Oh, we're so happy to have you here. So I'm just going to shout out your biography because Stephen Hauk is Mm. an amazing American actor. He was born in Texas. No, your family moved to Texas, right? At an early age. Where were you born, Mm -hmm. Steve?
3: Princeton, New Jersey.
2: Princeton, New Jersey. Yes. Okay. Not
3: far from here. Not far from New York City.
2: Not far from here at all. So Steve trained in the classics, honed his craft in summer stock tours and regional plays, and he made his debut on Broadway opposite dramatic powerhouse Tova Feldshuh in Irene's Vow. Other stage highlights include The Velocity of Autumn and One Arm and The Screw Tapes and Spy Garbo, which, the New York Times said, generates poignancy thanks to Mr. Hawke's soulful performance. This man has appeared in television on stages across the U.S. and in film. Some of my favorite credits that Stephen has done is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He's got a recurring role there. He's appeared in Blue Bloods, Gotham, Madam Secretary, Law and Order SVU and so much more. He's appeared in films. Um The Miseducation of Cameron Post, Ocean's 8, Collateral Beauty, old boy with Spike Lee, and oh my God, so much more that I really, I can't read anymore. Um, (laughs) Steve and I have been friends for a long time. He also, one of his favorite credits, I think, is serving on the board of Unity of New York here in New York City, our spiritual center, which is how we met. Yes. We've performed together. He's directed me in a play. I had him in my studio for a master class with my students. We co mastered a class with some actors, which was so much fun. And I'm looking forward to doing that much more often again now that the pandemic. It was, I think, the day before lockdown, that class. Do you remember? Do you remember
3: that? I do remember.
2: And we were in this little studio in New York City and these troopers of actors came just to work with you. And we had an amazing class. So again, welcome, my darling Steve. So happy to see you.
3: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and can't wait to, uh, you know, see what we talk about and, um, what we can convey to your listeners.
2: All right. Well, I've got a few questions for you that will probably right. help. Uh, the first question is, when did you realize that you had a passion for acting and telling stories?
3: Boy, that's uh, that goes al- back a long way. It goes back to high school for me. And I started doing plays my, my uh, freshman year of high school. The school where I went, Anderson High School in Austin, Texas, had a wonderful, wonderful theater uh, theater department, a wonderful you know, teacher, director. And um, by the time I was a senior, uh, I'd done a lot of plays, but I wasn't really thinking about being a professional actor. And then two friends and I put on a production of Edward Albee's The Zoo Story. Which you might know is it's a very intense two-hander, um, in which one man accosts another in Central Park and ends up getting stabbed by Ooh. the other, almost making it happen. So we did this very intense play on our own at school. And after the, after the performance was over, there was just this silence wow. in the theater. The audience sat there as if they had been, you know, anesthetized, as if they had been knocked, knocked and conscious. And then suddenly they rose to their feet. And at that moment, I thought, I think that's when I thought, if this is what the theater can do, if this is what I can do in the theater, I want to keep doing this. And at that point is when I really made my decision to, go to college and major in drama and then go on and be a, a professional actor. So it was it was one very dramatic moment, you might say.
0: That's
2: amazing. And I just want to speak to that uh, because that silence at the end of the performance, that's happened to me too, right? It's really scary. You're like, did I suck or, <laughs> yes. or was it great? You don't know in that <laughs> yeah. moment.
3: So that's you right. really
2: have to just be still and find out. It's mm. right. It's such mm-hmm. an amazing moment. Yeah. Oh, yes. yes I love that story. Um, and, and that's the other thing that I, I, I wanted to just touch on. I believe that one of the things that make actors great is their ability to tell stories.
3: Yes, absolutely. I've always looked for plays that tell a story. As actors, of course, and singers to, an, a, to a degree, we are interpreters often of someone else's work. But I think we're also collaborators. Of course we are, because we bring our own unique selves uh, to whatever role we're playing. So whether it's a Shakespeare role or a a play, a new play that's never been done before. We are collaborating with the playwright to cre- to tell the story, uh, and the playwright can only tell so much of the story with the words. The playwright needs actors to bring those words to life.
2: That's right, to breathe life into the printed page,
3: mm-hmm. right? Yes, and
2: um, that's actually one of my biggest. Um, things that i admire about you steve is uh, and i and i always wonder about this because you're so multi-talented you're an actor you're a singer you direct you write you teach you're coming at your craft from so many different directions but for me your ability to stand on a naked stage and tell a story <laughs> And bring us in. Because you also MC, And that's something I just wanted to mention, right? Mm-hmm. You're an amazing master of ceremonies. And that's not as easy as it sounds. And the, I just, I love how, because you're coming at your craft from so many different points of view, this storytelling ability, I think that's one of the reasons why you're so good at it. What do you think?
3: Well, what what. What you said made me think of is that as an MC or a, uh, host, you might say, you're talking about services at, uh, Unity of New York. You are in direct contact with the audience. I'm looking out into the audience. I'm gauging who's, who's there, who I'm gauging the energy of the room. And some actors say that they don't do that when they're acting. On stage, I think as an actor on stage, you've you've got one foot in the story you're telling, but you've also got an ear. You might say an ear cocked for the the audience. The audience is a almost a character in whatever story you're because you're that you're telling the story to them. So you really want to be sensitive to their response. I love yeah, as you that. said, if they're quiet, oh. Does that mean they're listening or are they bored? Did I hear a little snore sound coming out? (laughs) You know, (laughs) Um, I
2: love that. So I think
3: I think as actors, we develop hopefully. I'm going to say a 360 degree sensitivity. We know what's going on behind us, in front of us, to both sides of us. We know what effect we're having on the person on stage with us and what effect they're having on us. And we know the collective effect that we're having on the audience. And as I say that, it sounds so grandiose. It almost sounds mystical. And I don't really mean it that way, but, um, perhaps it is. Perhaps that ability is something that does make act good, good actors and great, good actors great.
2: Right. That kind yeah. of sixth sense. I yes. love that. I love that. Okay. So since we're here, um, You know, our listeners are not actors. Some, some may be, but our listeners are speakers and singers and people who are speaking their truth, Mm. living according to their truth, right? Mm -hmm. And speaking their truth. So Mm. I want to ask you, what are some of the hidden pitfalls with speaking in public or in front of a camera? that prevents people from succeeding
3: at that. Wow. Well, the first thing that just jumps into my mind, Monique, with with speaking and singing, is when we're listening to ourselves more than we are concentrating on communicating,
2: Mm. on
3: reaching out. And I I know I've been, you know... uh, been guilty of that uh, as a singer especially i'm very critical of my singing, and so i'm i'm listening to myself i'm evaluating myself as I go along, and that can also happen while you're acting, oh gosh, oh, I hit the wrong word on that line oh i didn't uh give that the the power I wanted to. That's
2: right. That kind of inner dialogue where you're criticizing and evaluating as you go instead of just staying in the flow of the connection or the communication, right?
3: Yes. Yes. I think of it in terms of, you know, of course we're we're concerned with how we're doing things, but really we should be primarily concerned with what we are doing. Mm. in this scene i am seducing this other person i am convincing i am intimidating i am trying to further my purpose whatever it is my motivation it's sometimes called you know and uh, the acting world not how and in rehearsal we explore different ways ways to do that oh how am i going to accomplish this goal but really, we have to let go of the how and just concentrate on the what, the response that I want from that person on stage with me and also maybe the audience, too. But more more the action, the action that I am taking and the result that I am seeking. That's beautiful. Trying to, yeah.
2: I love that. Steve, what is the best piece of advice anybody has ever given you? <sighs>
3: Wow. The best piece of advice anyone has ever given me as far as acting and, and in, being in, an actor. In actually,
2: in, in, in regards to what we're discussing, standing up in front of the camera. And I mean, we're now all living in a time of Zoom. A lot of us are teaching over Zoom, you know, and we're dealing with this camera and we're not trained actors, right? Most of us, mm. but even just standing up and speaking your truth. What's the best piece of advice you had being in front of people that have their eyes on you
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and how to handle that?
3: Well, I can't recall a single piece of advice, but I'm going to tell you that it. I have been told that think of the camera as your friend. Think of the camera as your ally in telling your story in telling your truth and it's easy to think of the camera at least from my point of view as a almost like an x-ray machine i'm going to see through you i'm gonna see how phony you are i'm gonna see how you don't really know what you're talking about. You know I mean? You know, I mean then-
2: Absolutely. And isn't, I mean, that is how we feel about the camera, but isn't that also how we feel when we're standing in front of people speaking our truth? A lot of times, I think that's our worst fear that they're going to see our mistakes, our failures. Our So we get caught up and that goes back to what you were saying in the how are people perceiving me rather mm-hmm. than what is my intention for what I'm about to say?
3: Yes, that self-consciousness, which we—I think—we all go through life, afraid that people are judging us and seeing us. And most people are too busy judging themselves for one thing—that's <laughs> to right. spend a lot of time judging others. Um, and audiences, yes, to see them as a, a a group of people sitting there with their arms folded in front of them, going, "Okay, show me." You know, just prove it to me that I, that I can believe you, that I can, that I'll be interested in this story that you want to tell me, that you are up to the task of entertaining me tonight. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I go to the theater hoping that I'm going to be moved and surprised and, you know, and, uh, so, and I've also heard about, uh, very, very successful actors who see the audience as an adversary and think it's their job to wrestle that audience into submission or, you know, that the audience needs to be seduced or brought into or intimidated or somehow that you have to have a victory over the audience, that the audience, you don't think of the audience as coming in with a friendly motivation. You think of them as judgmental, but you turn that, you turn that around. Right, and you wrestle them to the point where you want them to be. So, that's really
2: I, interesting.
3: That's interesting, isn't it? Is I don't know exactly. It's not my
2: way. I like to think of it more of a striptease. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a strange thing to say, <laughs> but I love but it. right, not giving everything away all at once, but giving mm. little bits of information so that mm. people are coming to you. That's what I mean by that. Um, yes. That's something I really love now. There's something I've been just so happy for you. I heard that Spike Lee has just hired you for not one, not two, not three, but for the fourth time. Will you tell us what was it like working with Spike Lee? And, um, what's the craziest thing a director's ever asked you to do?
3: Oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, they might go together, actually, because, uh... <laughs> I was wondering about that. <laughs> well, I was hired, uh, this is, boy, what, this is at least 10 years ago, maybe just, maybe 12 to be in Spike's remake of the South Korean film Old Boy. And the audition was, uh, was a, an improvisation. You're sitting at a dinner table with your family and you are, you are the authority in your family. Nobody else's opinion matters to you. And you are this a father figure who just keeps his thumb on all of his children and his wife. So Ooh. go. Improvise. Ah. Ah. So then I get the script. <laughs> and in one scene, I'm walking through my house, my mansion, with a double barrel shotgun. I shoot my daughter. I shoot my wife, I shoot my son, and then I put it under my chin and shoot my own head off. (gasps) Whoa. Yes. So, uh, you know, and of course I hadn't seen any of that before I was offered the job. And I, I tell you, I didn't really think twice about it. I thought this is fiction. This is a movie. This is Spike Lee. Of course I'm going to do it. Right. But can I tell you one other thing that's this is, this is even a little more shocking, is that in one other scene, I was having sex with my daughter.
2: Oh my goodness, Steven.
3: I mean, with, yeah, yes, yeah, see, so this is, this was actually the like, <laughs> oh, and they even put a nudity clause in there. Would you be willing to be nude? Oh and my I, like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Turned out, um, you know, I went to New Orleans, we shot that scene, and, When that scene was being shot, of course, the whole set shuts down. Only the very few people who need to be there are there. Luckily, by that time, the actress playing my daughter and I were very good friends. We got through one take and then we just started laughing.
2: (laughs) My goodness. Because,
3: you know, because, and one of the things was we were in a greenhouse. We weren't naked, thank God. We were clothed. We were in a greenhouse and we, and the sounds that we made had to be loud enough to attract someone's attention from outside the greenhouse. Oh, so my we goodness. were both going, huh, huh, huh. <laughs> I mean, way overboard. Oh my um, goodness. So that was my first uh, experience with Spike. And um, then he hired me to do a film of his called The Sweet Blood of Jesus, which was much more controlled. I was a professor. Mm-hmm. I, you know i kept my that's more on. your
2: type right that's that's, more my, kind that's of your, very
3: much that's yes right that's my wheelhouse a lot that's of your times
2: wheelhouse, yeah
3: yeah and then i did one episode of she's gotta have it his netflix uh that's reboot right. of that as a headmaster at a school mm-hmm. and then just uh about three weeks ago he hired me to be in a commercial that he made for cryptocurrency and it's what? a wild it's a wild commercial you know it's uh so, you know, and by that time I hadn't seen him in several years and I thought, oh, he's forgotten all about me. Of course not. No, of he's so loyal. Not. He loves to use the same people. If he likes you, you know, and, and I get to play the upper crust white guy whenever <laughs> he needs one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, my dear. Thank you so much for that. We, it's so interesting. What a life you've mm. lived. A- amazing. I have a, I have, a, this is something that I've always wanted to ask you and I'm surprised that we haven't had this conversation, but how has your spiritual practice played a part in your success?
3: Mm. The uh, first thing that comes to mind is, you know, the four agreements. Um, A lot of people are familiar with them. And now I can't tell you all four off the top of my head right now, but one of them is never take anything personally. Mm. And I realized that, of course, as performers, as artists, everything we do has this very personal component to it. But what we don't want to do, I don't want to do, is take it so personally. So when anybody has a problem. Anybody has, there's a little bit of conflict or there's a little bit of tension, which there often is in a creative process. You know, there's right. a lot of people, people have a lot of pressure on them. Uh, time and is money. They're it's very
2: a, passionate people in general. And they're passionate right? people. They're yeah. trying
3: to do a, the best they, work they can do sometimes in a, in, with a time, you know, time crunch. So I try to, I don't take things personally, even if I could interpret it as something a criticism of me or something unwarranted. Because once you start doing that, you really let yourself in for, you're in a minefield that if you let, if, you know, because people have their own concerns, their own problems, they have nothing to do with you per se, but they might be a little short with you because of the other pressure that they're under, or they might be a little impatient, or they might not be as friendly or warm as you think that they should be in the situation, you know? So to not take any of that personally and just stay centered and grounded in my purpose.
2: Yes. I love that.
3: I think that makes a huge difference. And in auditions, can you imagine if you go in, I used to go into auditions thinking that I was going to the guillotine Right, that I, you know, that I was going into a room where I was going to be executed.
2: Right, if right. not,
3: if not in reality, metaphorically.
2: That's how I was an audition. I, they were. It was really hard.
3: Dread, dreading them, and isn't that an awful thing to do to ourselves? I mean, yeah. auditions are a necessary part of our business. That's right, and. So, and so not again, um, not to take it personally in the sense that you're just waiting again for that judgment that you right. think that everyone's sitting there just waiting to find fault with you, just waiting to see what's wrong with what you do or who you are. Exactly. They are. That's aren't. right.
2: Oh, yeah. I love that. You know, some would call you a mighty manifester.
3: <laughs> oh,
2: I well, mean, you have manifested in New York City. Where all actors, I mean, New York and LA are where all actors flock for their mm-hmm. big break. And you have manifested success in a way that, I, and I know a lot of actors and they haven't. And I'm just wondering, do you think your spiritual practice has anything to do with that?
3: Spiritual practice for me has helped me to be resilient and mm. to keep going, even when all of the, you know, all of the circumstances, all of the, uh, the signs you're looking for are saying, forget it, you know, mm. quit. It's just not going to happen. Um, and that when you say a mighty manifester, I think, yeah, I've been in New York for 30 years, Wow, you know, and before that I was out uh, you know I just kind of took it a step at a time I got out of college and I went on did some you know small time non non non-equity tours and then I went to graduate school and uh, to learn how to act classically. While I was in school, I got my equity card. I got out. I just took it. It was sort
2: of a step-by-step process for you. It
3: really was. Oh, yeah, very much so. Very much. like. And there were days, I tell you, months, maybe even years when I thought, I just can't keep doing this. But I did, sometimes out of just habit, I thought. But as you know, spiritual work, when we work on ourselves... it helps us in every area. It just, absolutely because life life throws things at us all the time, you know, and if we can stop, uh, you know, throwing things at ourselves and burdening ourselves yes. with fears and shame from the yes. past. And as artists, we want to be a part of, you know, share every part of our experience as a human being, because that's what we want to illuminate and explore
2: That's right. Thank you so much, Steve. I've got one last question for you. Okay. What does having a magnetic voice hmm. mean to you?
3: Hmm. Well, my mentor in college used to say yummy voices are a dime a dozen. So it's not having a yummy voice, it's and I think what she meant by that was just a voice that's beautiful for its own sake, that does not reach out, that does not mm, vibrate, does not communicate. So I think the magnetic voice is rooted, rooted, related to what we were talking about before, that purpose, that purpose to communicate. And we we work on our voices, we make them as strong and beautiful and powerful and flexible as possible, and then we forget it and we just Try to tell that story, and um, get what we want in every moment. That's that would to be be to me the magnetic quality of the voice.
2: Oh, Yay. thank you so much! <laughs> that was great. What an honor and a pleasure to have you here with us today. Mm-hmm. I bless you, my darling. I bless your career, and I just I'm your biggest fan. Love oh, you so much.
3: Mutual. It is so mutual. And All right. we're gonna we're gonna travel together. Yes! feelings. Yeah. And we're gonna
2: teach together. I can't mm. wait. We've got Let's lots of stuff to do together. Wonderful. All right, dear heart. Thanks okay. a lot. Thank you. All right. Let's take a deep centering breath. Letting go of everything before this now moment. And as you breathe, I invite you to bring your center of gravity down, down, down to the most sacred space within you. As we breathe in and out, we are connecting to the Divine and Loving Spirit that resides within us. Who do you want to be today? heart do you want to play? How do you want to communicate your divine message into the world? As you open your mind and body and soul to the unique identity that is you think of how that unique amazing divine self expresses in so many ways whether you're a parent or a business owner or a writer or a singer or a speaker you are expressing your best self now are connected and grounded into yourself, and you don't take any criticism or anything that the world throws at you personally. You are open to becoming who you need to be for whatever faces you. The mighty actor who takes in the experiences of life so that he can pour himself out into every area of his life, manifesting the highest and best that life has for us. Forth our right and perfect role in life, the highest and best self that we are, so that we can take ourselves into any situation and know without a shadow of a doubt that we are the best. We are mighty manifestors, taking life step by step, situation by situation, and pouring ourselves into it, knowing that we are always divinely guided and becoming better and better every day even when it appears that there are mistakes or dark spots, we release and know that we are the expression of the divine here and now. And for this and so much more, we are truly grateful And
0: we let it
1: be. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Magnetic Voice here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com slash support. The Magnetic Voice is copyright 2021, Monique McDonald, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.